The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. So if you would, turn in your copy of God's Word to Acts chapter 12. If you have the Blue Bibles, it's on page 536. But this morning, we are in our final message in the series, Fresh Encounter. We've been tracing this theme of prayer in the early chapters of Acts, and primarily through the life of the Apostle Peter, for he's been at the forefront of these first 12 chapters in Acts as a powerful preacher, a leader in the early church, and and a fervent prayer, we discover. He was a man that took some thumps, made some foolish decisions in his early days following Christ, didn't he? We know some of his, he made some, some, he stuck his foot in his mouth more than once. And now by God's grace, he is being used in these early days of the church where God was graciously teaching him and then graciously sending him out to be a major player. You know, though today is our final message in this series, it is not the final passage on prayer in Acts. You will continue to see this theme in chapter 13 as the attention uh, switches really to the Apostle Paul and God commissioning him then to take the baton of the gospel to the outer ends of the earth. Chapters 1 through 12, Peter's uh, kind of the, the, the quarterback there. And now Paul in chapter 13 will come into the forefront. Prayer is all over the place. But seeing this theme here in the book of Acts has really led me to ask the question, why? Why is prayer a theme? Why does Luke, the author, go to such great lengths to record it at every transition, every significant moment in Acts? Well, let me tell you why. It's because prayer is God's workplace. Just as you go to the office, as you go to the job site, as you go to the shop, God goes to where people are praying. As one commentator puts it here, see this quote here, he says, prayer is the natural atmosphere of God's people and the normal context for divine activity. This is where God goes to work all across the pages of your Bible. You see this like in Jeremiah 33, 3. Call to me and I will answer you. God goes, God moves, God works, God transforms, God saves where people are praying. And God delights to do so. And he goes to work eagerly in and through our prayers. It was the case in Acts. It's the case all across the scriptures. And it's no different really than today. And really every week in this Fresh Encounter series, I've endeavored to show you through a variety of situations. I've said in multiple ways, if you need the Lord, and you do, and call upon him. And call upon him. I've, I've endeavored to, just, to show you how active, how aware, how among, how attentive, and how affectionate our God is to you. And this morning is really no different in this scene. Acts 12 is in some ways a comical scene. It's a comical scene describing God's protection through prayer while Peter is imprisoned. That was a lot of alliteration unintentionally. But God protects his people through prayer. That's the thrust of this passage. That's the theme. God protects his people through prayer. Look at Acts 12 with me. I want to read the first 11 verses for us. Hear now the word of God read for you. 
About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. If you're following along, put that little P in your notes so you see that instance of prayer. Verse 6, now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street. And immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting this is God's word for God's people. And so as we read this section of scripture, what type of prayer protects us? That's the question. What does God delight to answer in the midst of persecution? Well, it's this. It's earnest prayers. We should pray earnestly. Let's examine the scene a little bit closer. Look with me in verse 1. It says, about that time. Well, as we trace here what, what has happened, it's about 10 years after Jesus had ascended. From chapter 1, these last five weeks, about 10 years have passed in the growth and spread and the increase of the church. We know this because Herod the king here is the king. And so which one is this? We've seen a lot of Herod. Well, this is Herod Agrippa. The Herod that we've seen thus far and last week when we were talking about Herod the Great building that city of Caesarea, that was this king, Herod the king or Herod Agrippa. It was his granddad. It was his granddad. Now, Herod the Great, was, uh, he was very suspicious. He was very cruel, so much so that he killed his son, Aristobulus, who was Agrippa, Herod the king here. That was his father. He killed him because he was worried about him usurping and all kinds of, of suspicious and skeptical things were going on in his own brain. And so this king, Agrippa, when he was a child, went back to Rome with his mother, Bernice, and he was raised there. And after his granddad died, and after his uncle died, he then became the ruler over Palestine, or what we call Israel, that, that uh, province there of the Roman Empire. But he was made the ruler, or the king, when his friend Claudius, and then, or really Caligula, and then Claudius became emperor over that, or over that province, or that empire. So you see, this is Herod Agrippa. And now Herod Agrippa, he was a shrewd man. He was a shrewd man and he led uh, understanding who the majority of the people were in his province. Who were the majority? We're in Israel. So what do you think? Who, who's the majority? It's the Hebrew. Jewish people, the Hebrew people, right? And so as we see here, he was, he was shrewd. He wanted to please them. If the people were happy, he could be happy. If the place was at peace, 
He could live at peace. He could live in the lap of luxury. And so being shrewd, seeking the approval of the majority of Jews, he went after those who belonged to the church. Circle that word, belong. That's very intentional here. See, these aren't just people that, you know, attended church. They weren't just people that had some sort of allegiance to Jesus, but they belonged to a group of people. They belonged to the gathered body of Christ. That's why we have membership. We, that's why we have a meaningful membership, because when you belong here, it's this, these are my people. It's a part of who we are. It's not just a, something that we do. It's not just a, a, a thing that we're on the membership role of, but it's an active part of our life. They were marked because they belonged to the body of Christ. So what does he do? He laid violent hands on them. You get the picture. You get the picture of his treatment. He gained favor with the Jewish people as he persecuted the Christians. And what he does first is he beheads James, the son of John, or the, the brother of John, rather, the son of Zebedee. Luke 5, we see where he's called as a disciple. Luke 9, he's at the transfiguration. He's one of that inner three group of disciples that were closest to Jesus, Peter, James, and John. And now here he's been struck with the sword, likely beheaded, and to also please the Jews. What does he do in verse 3? He arrests Peter. He throws him in jail. This is the third time that it's happened to Peter. In chapter four and chapter five, right? The Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, they throw him in jail and he gets out every time. One time they let him go and they slap him on the wrist and say, don't talk about Jesus anymore. That didn't really stop him. So in another chapter, he and all the apostles get thrown into prison and we have just a brief verse. You can read it this afternoon. Just a brief verse and it says, and an angel got him out. And now for the third time, now it's not the Jewish authorities. Now it's the Roman authorities and Peter is thrown in jail. The, the Jewish leader is like, we've tried twice, and he's gotten out every time. So now you have at it. And so what does he do? He, 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 gives, he, he puts a massive security on him, maximum security, four guards. The death sentence is put on him, but it's delayed because in God's sovereignty, it's Passover. Hey, did you see that? It's Passover. It's the, it's the days of the unleavened bread, They're the Jewish celebration of when God passed over uh, his people, those that had the blood spread over the door. So God's spirit, when he was coming to kill the firstborn there back in Exodus, you can read about it. It's a celebration. And it would have upset the Jews if death had happened there. So he's, the, the death sentence is delayed in God's great sovereignty. And all the while this is happening, all the while, all these guards, maximum security, he's waiting in prison. In verse 5, what is the church doing? They're praying. They're praying. Are they just praying these little SOS prayers as they go about their day? Oh yeah, God, would you get Peter out of jail? On with their day? No, what does it say? They are praying earnestly. Earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Underline that. Underline that there. Because this, this earnest is such a great word. It's such a great word. It's the same word that Luke uses in Luke twenty-two forty-four when Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane days before his death. And, he, or, and, and he's praying and he's sweating blood. He's about, he, it's a day, I guess, but he's, he's, he's praying so earnestly that his sweat is turning to drops of blood. And here they are, they are praying in the same way. I think in Greek, this word here is related to the medical term described for stretching out a muscle to its limits. Luke, who wrote this, was a medical doctor by trade and by training, so he probably knew a little bit about these things. 
But it, but it carries the idea of, 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 of stretching. You know, when do, we, when do we stretch our muscles? Before we go to work out, right? Before we run, we stretch to prevent injury. We feel the burn, right? We stretch our legs, we stretch our calves. If we're going to, we stretch in order to prevent injury. But when else do we stretch our muscles? After, in recovery, right? All the PTs in the house know that, like that's part of their deal and stretching out those muscles, trying to get range of motion increased. If you've ever had a knee replacement, they like do it all up, you're under the knife and then it's just like a matter of hours, right? And they get you back up on your feet. They, they don't want those muscles to atrophy or to shrink back up as they get you and it's painful. Anybody had a knee replacement in the house and know about it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's painful. So I'm told I haven't had any knee replacements. I'm trying to be preventative in my stretching and in the use of my body so I never have to get there. But earnest prayer is both preventative care and also recovery care among God's people. We pray earnestly. And by doing so, we, present, we prevent ourselves from getting entangled in all kinds of sin. And then when we find ourselves in places where we've, we're bearing the consequence of our own sin or other sin against us or our own struggle or those things, we pray earnestly, crying out to the Lord that protects us from fear, from physical harm, these things that we see in this passage. Look how the story really continues in verse six. It's the night before Peter's likely death. And what is the guy doing? He's snoring away. Right? He's sleeping soundly. He's sleeping the sleep of a man who trusts the Lord. And this is really where it gets comical. Did you see the humor here? Peter's sleeping like a groggy guy and the, and the, you know, and the angel has to come and you know, like smacks him. You know, like guys, we're snoring in the middle of the night and your, our wife to wake us up. Like we get the elbow or we get the, you know, the smack. Happened to anybody else's house? Just mine? No, I sleep soundly. And then he's like, get up here. Come on, dress yourself, get your clothes on. And he's just, he's, he's like, He's in the sleepwalk all the while this angel is releasing him. He's like, is this, is this a dream? Maybe this is just like a man thing. I don't know. This happens in my house all the time. I'm sleeping soundly. I get up in the morning and then the next morning Aaron gets up and she's like, did you hear the kids? You know, Kai and Gemma, they came in our room. And uh, did you see the ambulance that was at the neighbor's last night at 1.30? And it's like, nope. Nope, didn't, 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 didn't see any of that. I was sleeping away. I can sleep through anything. Unless you slap me around, wake me up, and then even then, you know, I heard a noise in the house, and it wakes me up, and, you know, and I throw some clothes on, and then I just go down kind of groggy. If there's anybody in the house, they're going to have at it, and they are going to overcome me because I'm just like, <laughs> around. Yeah. That's just me, and there's some way it's like what happened is Peter here, you know? There's, really, there's only really three things. This is a little side note. There's three things that'll wake me up in the middle of the night. Wake me out of a deep sleep. It's when one of my kids uh, yells, Daddy, and like, because they're having a nightmare or something like that. As soon as they do, my dad instinct comes on and I, I'm wide awake. They can be up. They can be poking me. You know, I'll be sleeping there looking and they'll tap me on the head, looking at me with their little chucky eyes and I won't wake up. <laughs> but as soon as they like cry out, Daddy, I'll, I'll wake up. I'll wake up. I'll wake up. Second is when Aaron's making stuff in the crock pot overnight, like making broth. I don't know what, but that like savory scent going through our house just activates my metabolism. And I'm just up in the middle of the night and I'm hungry. I'm hungry. And other things that wake me up in the middle of the night are when, uh, when y'all, when sheep are sinning or suffering and you're going through a hard time. 
Um, I'll wake up and, and be wide awake in the middle of the night. Those things wake me up. Other than that, angels, fire alarms. <laughs> I am sleeping. I am sleeping. Just like Peter here. Just like Peter. Peter, is, he's asleep. He's, he's just making his way through the, the, the town here. He's going through the guards, the gates, until verse 11, what happens? He comes to himself. The Lord rescues him, and look at what he says. He gives God the glory. He gives God the glory. Can you just picture like Luke years after this interviewing Peter? He likely wasn't here. Interviewing Peter and Peter recalling his response here. You know, he said, now I'm sure, now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel. Now that I'm awake, now that I'm out of this prison, now that these chains are off, the guards are gone, now I know that God has rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. See, they are praying earnestly and as a result of their earnest prayers, God answered them. You ever thought, why, why should we pray earnestly? Ever thought about that? Like, why is this a defining mark of God's people as we pray in earnest? Have you ever thought about this? What's, what's the difference maker between these types of prayers and faithless, kind of apathetic prayers? Well, the text teaches us that God protects us from fear and physical harm when we do. When we pray earnestly here, our fears are alleviated. Peter was able to sleep soundly without fear. People, God's people were praying for him. I would submit to you, if you don't already pray, pray for God's people who are imprisoned and persecuted around the globe. Pray for Chinese believers. Get on Operation World's uh, daily email and pray for persecuted Christians around the globe, and God will be answering them that your earnest prayers for people you will never meet until eternity. He will deliver them from fear. You know, that little book that I... Uh, recommended earlier this month. I read it and reading it with some guys, The Journey to Victorious Prayer. Dr. Thrasher there, who wrote the book, he's a professor at Moody, he gives some other reasons, and I've adapted some of them here. Why do we pray earnestly? Well, you've got one there. How about this? To purify our desires. We pray earnestly. God is exposing that sometimes we want the right things with, for the wrong reasons, and through praying out loud before the Lord, repeatedly, earnestly, enduring through prayer, God exposes our selfish motives. We hear the, the gimme, 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 I want, I want, I want, and God in his grace is purifying our desires, exposing those things, those selfish desires that may reside in our asking. Another reason is we pray earnestly, is God calls us to do this, is to prepare us for his answer to prepare us for his answer by answering too soon and we would maybe worship the gift and not the giver. You know, we ask over and over, God, give me a spouse. God, give me kids. Give me this new job. God, would you make me healthy again? And really, we just want the comfort or the convenience or we, we want these things, but we don't actually want the Lord and the joy of knowing him in the process of praying. And if God were to give it to us too soon, we would idolize that object, that child, that spouse, that, that job, and then as soon as it fails us, as soon as it, it, it causes us some sort of grief, it crushes us because it's bearing a weight it was never meant to carry. Only God is to be worshiped. And so God is preparing us, even in our earnest prayers, as we are asking for good things, but he's calling us to wait. Why else? To develop our character. As he's purging our desires, as he's exposing our idols, 
God is super concerned with our holiness, our sanctification of making us more like Christ. He wants to do a work in your heart first before he wants to do a work in your husband's or your kids or your coworkers or whatever situation you're praying for. He's doing a work through your earnest prayers in your heart, through his grace and his kindness. Why else do we pray earnestly? It is to be used in spiritual warfare. Sometimes God calls us to earnest, expectant, uh, enduring prayer to be used in the heavenly places. You know, we're not told much about spiritual warfare in the scriptures. Very little, actually. But Ephesians 6, the passage that does teach about it, teaches us to pray with all prayer and supplication, persevering in prayer for all the saints. And as we do, God is at work in and through our prayers. And so don't, don't take this too far. I always exercise a word of caution. We're not told a lot. And just because it is a thing, it doesn't mean it's the only thing. And so we can't avoid it. We don't avoid spiritual warfare. It's a real thing. And so we can, we can walk into it, but we don't have to be afraid. And we also don't have to overemphasize it. We don't have to be looking for, you know, things behind every bush and spiritual oppression, all these things. Like, you know, you, you will run a rat race in them. Pray and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Those are our two commands that were given in regards to spiritual warfare in the New Testament. But here's the last one to grow our walk with Christ. Why do we pray earnestly? It is to grow our walk with Christ, that we would delight to talk with him. That we would delight to talk with him and treasure it like a conversation with our best friend. No relationship can exist just based on text messages. And sometimes just our ongoing SOS prayers are just like we're going about our day and we're texting up to the Lord. Hey, God, could I have this? You know, it's like we're texting our wife. Can you bring home some milk after, you know, on your way home from work? No, no real thriving, growing relationship with the Lord can grow out of text messages. He wants us to invest in this relationship through earnest prayer. And so if you know the Lord, if you delight in your relationship with him, you will endure through earnest, expectant, eager prayer. Is God stretching you right now in your earnest prayers? Is he protecting you from things, from physical harm? Is he growing you? Is he stretching out these muscles in a preventative way or in a recovery way? Well, I would just counsel you, embrace his grace towards you. Embrace his grace even right now. If, if, if his answer, even if his answer right now is to wait, God is still faithful to you in his nose. He's still wise in his waits. Persist in earnest, heartfelt, eager prayer to the Lord. But you know, the comedy really continues. Let's come back to our text here. Peter's out of prison. He's seeking refuge with his friends who were, get this, praying expectantly. They were praying expectantly. Let's look at verse 12. I want to read these, this next section to you here as we see this great passage. Follow along with me. This is in verse 12. We'll read to verse 24. When he realized this, that's Peter, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. Look a little P there in your margins. Verse 13, when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. 
But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. Yeah, no kidding. And after Herod searched for him and he did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, that's a great name, Blastus, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them, and the people were shouting, the voice of a god and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and because he did not give God the glory, he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. This is God's word. What an interesting scene, isn't it? What an interesting scene. Here, God's people are praying expectantly. And you're familiar with the disciple Mark. That's, they're going to, Peter goes to Mark's mom's house. All right? Hey, guys, we're going to meet up at Mark's mom's house, and we're going to pray. I'm excited, Mark here, who we get a little glimpse of. We're going to be in his gospel, uh, the gospel of Mark in a couple weeks. It's our next series. You can begin reading it. It's going to be fantastic. But he goes there, and they're gathered for the Super Bowl. Now they're gathered for they're praying. They're praying, probably not expecting an answer like this, are they? They're praying because they know who they're talking to. And it's a, it's a funny scene. Like Peter's, he's out of prison. He finally comes to. He realizes, if I'm seen, I'm going to get caught. And so what does he do? He goes and he's knocking on the door, right? Knocking on the door. And the servant girl comes. She's amazed, but she doesn't let him in. You know, they had their house and then they had a, a fence or a wall around it. They're probably fearing persecution. So they're in there hiding and praying. The servant girl goes and, and, and sees him and she's excited, but she leaves him exposed out there. And Peter's like, hey, you know, like, let me in. And she's in there interrupting the prayer meeting. You know, that would be something, right? Here they're praying and the servant girl's in. They're like, I see Peter. Like, you're out of your mind. No, I really do see Peter. It's probably his angel. You're still probably out of your mind. Yeah. And uh, they believed Jewish uh, people those days believed everyone had a guardian angel. So they likely thought Peter had already been killed. Here's his angel standing at the door. But no, it's really Peter in the flesh. And so he comes in, tells them, and then he departs and he goes to another place. He says, tell James. This is James, who was Jesus' brother, who along with Peter were the leaders of the Jerusalem church. We'll see them again in chapter 15 uh, if you continue reading there. And so he says, hey, deliver this message. I'm going out. And so he actually departs. And so it's, it's, he's like going into hiding, but it's also a very skillful way as Luke is writing to say now he's kind of coming off the scene. He's departing. He'll come back up in chapter 15, and that's the last we see. And so then there's a, the next morning, there's a hullabaloo at the prison, right? Heads got a roll. Peter got out through the guards. And so they literally do. Herod executes those sentries that let Peter escape, and then he heads to Caesarea by the sea for vacation. And while he's there, what happens to him? People come up to him. They're worshiping him. His great oration, he's out there, and in the midst, he does not. This is really interesting because it's juxtaposed to Peter's response. In verse 11, Peter gives God the glory. Now these people are worshiping this ruler. God doesn't put up with that. God doesn't put up with, with people stealing his glory. And so just like other kings, see Nebuchadnezzar, he takes the glory for himself, he doesn't repent, and he eats grass. Look at Daniel. 
Here, this king, King Herod, does, doesn't give God the glory. He accepts the praise. You're a God, you're not a man. <laughs> eaten by worms. Eaten by worms. Repent, give God the glory, or be eaten by worms. Be eaten by worms. And what happens in the midst of it in verse 24? Even in the midst of persecution, in the midst of God's people, God goes to work through his word as it is increasing and multiplying. In chapter 13, then Paul is going to take that and it's going to blow up to the ends of the earth. And we are even in the midst of all this. They are protected through God's people's prayers. You know what? Prayer like this, prayer is, is, is like a thermometer, isn't it? Prayer is like a thermometer of our spiritual health. When we are growing and vibrant and walking with the Lord, our, our prayers are warm. They're expectant. They are eager because we delight to know that God is going to answer these. But when our prayer life is cold, it's, well, guess who moved? Guess who's distancing themselves from the Lord? If prayer is non-existent in your life, if there's no reading on the prayer thermometer, and I would submit to you, you likely don't know the one whom we talk to. There may not be any regeneration in your heart. You may be unsaved if there's no prayer in your life. How could we have a relationship without these things? And if that's the case, you feel the tug of the Lord even now? Like, yeah, I don't have much of a prayer life. There's no better place to start than today. Just as as the Bible says in Jeremiah 33, call to me and I will answer you. Romans 10 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, what? Will be saved. And you can call on him today. You can make it your first prayer that God will hear and answer right now. You can repent and believe. You can say, God, I'm sorry. I've done it on my own for far too long. But I know this Christ, this Christ who stood in my place, the Christ whose grace I've just heard about this morning, the Christ whose death I've just heard about this morning. I I want that. I want a relationship with with him. It's more than I deserve. It's, It's more than I've bargained for. It's more than I've ever earned. I can't earn it. That's the part of the problem. I'm tired of doing it on my own. We pray prayers like that. Christ says, yeah, come you will be unleashed then into a life of talking with the Lord in expectant, eager prayer. See, our expectancy, it grows the more that we pray. We, we become more eager. The more our prayers are answered, the more we, we, we pray, the more expectant we become. It's like the law of increasing returns. The more prayer, the more answers, the more expectancy until it's increasing and multiplying like wildfire. You know, have you had any prayers answered recently? I hope you have. And then what does that do? It it gets you excited to pray even more. You know, each morning I get up and I pray for my wife, my kids and you and all kinds of things on my list. And I've been praying through these 10 things. Desiring God has a great list, 10 things to pray uh, for your wife. I can send it out or give it to you if you'd like it um, here. And so I've been praying these things. And a couple weeks ago, I shared this with my small group. A couple weeks ago, I was was up early and I was was praying. I was praying this, this simple phrase for my wife. I was like, God, intensify her joy. Make her filled with your joy today and all that you have on her plate and her responsibilities as a wife and as a mother and with the school and all the things that you put on her plate. Intensify her joy today. 
about 30 minutes later, I was down on the couch, coming down our steps. My wife is walking down with the biggest grin on her face that I've ever seen at 4.30 in the morning. <laughs> it was that early. And I, she's like, many of you maybe wake up super, you know, just joyful and chipper. Um, and my wife, that's not the case. Um, <laughs> not that she's grumpy, but she had an intense joy right there minutes after I'd been praying that for her. Little did I know that the night before in small group, they had been praying that God would your spirit wake us up eager and joyful and delighted to meet with you today. And so God had answered those prayers. Do you know what that has done? Every morning, it has given me greater expectancy as I pray for her and wanting, like, will the answer be immediate today? And it has fueled my prayers. The more I pray, the more I expect, the more that I get to see God answer prayers. And so here's, do you ever wonder like, well, how do I pray expectantly? Do you, do you ever ask that question? Is that on your mind? Like, how do I pray these type of prayers? Is it just, do I, do I pray? Do I gotta like get myself like pumped up because I'm going to a game or, you know, is it, is it something like that? Well, it's not purely emotional. How do we pray expectantly with faith, hope, anticipation, well, here's some reasons that I would offer to you. They're adapted again from the book, The Journey to Victorious Praying. These things will help you pray, expecting God to answer. Here's, here's how, what you can do. You can appeal first to God's attributes. As you pray, pray, God, according to your steadfast love, answer me. According to your great mercy, according to your justice, God, answer this prayer. God delights. He's, it's according to his character. He's, he's revealed himself this way. You can expect an answer when we are praying according to God's attributes. You can appeal also to God's promises. See this in Genesis. Jacob appeals back. He said, well, God, you promised this to my father Isaac and his father Abraham. And so you need to do this in my life as well. You can pray. God's made us promises. He's promised to, uh, to hear our prayers. He's promised that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us. You can appeal to his promises. You can appeal to God's honor or reputation. God, not to me, not to us, but to your name be glory. Would you be magnified in my workplace? God, as I need to make this decision, may, uh, may your reputation be on display. May your goodness and faithfulness be known among my family. You can appeal to the need of, needs of God's people. God is a good shepherd. He is the overseer of our souls. As you have needs, as your people have needs, you can appeal to that. God, here are real needs among your people. Answer them, meet them, just as you've met our greatest need. You can appeal to God's past action. God, you were faithful then. You were faithful then. You were faithful to the Israelites. You got them out of that pickle. Would you be faithful again? Would you be faithful again? Can appeal to our union with Christ. God, I'm not here because of what I've done, but because I'm united with Christ and what he's done. I'm united with him. We're united together. And lastly, you can appeal to the gospel. You want to increase expectancy in your prayers? Appeal to the gospel. God desires that no one should perish, 
The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. If you appeal to the good news of Jesus Christ, God delights, loves to answer those types of prayers. And as you see it, as you see these, as you, as you begin to shape your prayers, praying through the scripture, praying through these things, your expectancy, your hope, your faith, your joy, your anticipation in your prayers will drastically increase. But as we do, as we're standing on the foundation of God's word, his revelation to us, we allow these to shape our prayers and we can expect our answers. And by, by praying expectantly, you know what really we're saying? We're saying, God, I delight to know you more than anything else. And as, as God grows our expectancy, you know what? It, the greatest thing that it does is it just squashes our entitlement. It squashes our, this, this, this attitude that exists in all of us that we think we deserve God to answer us. Give me, give me those types of prayers that we deserve, whatever it is we're asking for. But I'll tell you what, entitlement is the mortal enemy of expectant prayer. We don't come to God like an entitled child thinking that we deserve anything. No, we come because of the grace of God that has invited us in. We don't deserve anything. But the fact that God inclines himself to hear our prayers is part of the treasure that our salvation brings. It's part of the treasure that we have in Christ that he won for us at our death. He tore that veil. He opened up the possibility and the privilege it is to have God's ear to be his child. What a privilege it is to pray. What a protection it is to pray. What power there is in prayer. These earnest, expectant prayers are the ones that God goes to work in. One that, you know, he metaphorically wakes up with joy, puts on his work boots, his work clothes, and he goes to work. Those listless, faithless prayers, they accomplish nothing but the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. You know, these are the types of prayers that God answers. And I hope that in this series, in this fresh encounter, that God has done a work in your heart, increasing and growing and exalting himself, stirring up in you a heart of prayer. These eager, earnest, expectant prayers that God would answer them. And so as we close, we're going to transition here. I want us to spend some time in prayer. Um, just a few moments. Our worship team can come on up, and we're going to close with a song here.